the time limit. Today, my guest is Johanna Rothman. Johanna is a consultant and coach, and you may know her as the pragmatic manager, or maybe you've read one of her many books, which range in topics from management to agile to hiring and so much more. Well, I invited her on time limit to talk about a topic that I think is really important to a lot of professionals these days, and it's distributed project management or remote project management. You know, that thing where you work in one spot and your teammates work in other spaces, it's that, and you know, there's a lot to it. And Johanna actually explains how to define your team in the interview itself. We also talk about her book, From Chaos to Successful Distributed Agile Teams, Collaborate to Deliver. But if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not agile, that's okay. I think you'll find this interview is full of helpful and practical advice to manage remote teams, regardless of your methodology. After all, the challenges aren't about process as much as they're about people and communications. And we'll dig into that too. So check it out. Johanna, welcome to Time Limit. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and I'm so delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to speak with you. Um, I think our audience should know that you've written several books, um, which they can find on your website. Um, I'm sure they're on Amazon as well, but we'll have a link in our show notes so that they can check all of that out. Um, Those books and topics are really helpful for project managers and I think even more generally leaders. Um, But I think the one book of yours that I want to focus in on today is from Chaos to successful distributed agile teams collaborate to collaborate to deliver, uh, which you wrote with Mark Kilbeek, right? Yes, we wrote it as a distributed agile team. Yeah, so you told me a little bit about that, but I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about um, kind of the impetus for the book, or you know, why you two decided to write it. So I was in agile, I think, either twenty. It must have been 2017, going to the last session on Friday morning. And I I saw Mark and I've known Mark for many years. And I said, did you see anything interesting about distributed agile teams here? Or is it all the same old, same old, which is don't do it? (laughs) And he said, which is really not very helpful. Um, And he said, no, I haven't seen anything about it. And I said, well, I've been working as uh, as a distributed, as a remote coach. I have all of my executive clients are remote from me. I don't do any work with them on site. I would like to write a book about distributed agile teams. Would you like to write one with me? And he said, yes. <laughs> so so uh, the way he says it is he, he hesitated for about a nanosecond. <laughs> I actually think he hesitated just a little longer. But because um, we had not written together. Right? Okay. We had we had never. So this is this is a really, really big ask. And I said, you know, I have a lot of experience, some of which is quite negative. And you have a lot of experience, which is mostly positive. So if we can bring all of that experience together, we can then explain to people when this works and when this doesn't. Absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, having the experience and knowing that it's a topic that basically, you know, 
<laughs> the entire workforce at this point is related to like everyone's going agile or trying to go agile. And a lot of yep. companies are trying to go distributed or remote. So it makes sense in terms of a topic. I know at Team Gantt, we're actually distributed. So we have some folks in our office and headquartered in Baltimore, and then everyone else is kind of all, all over the country. So it's a hot topic for us. And it's something that we really like to talk about. Um, but yeah. I kind of want to dig into the book just a little bit and then kind of talk about some themes around it. So um, the first chapter is titled Distributed Agile Teams Are Here to Stay. <laughs> and kind of like I just said, I've, I'd even go as far to say that just distributed teams are here to stay. And I think you're probably implying that. Um, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk about agile teams, but more generally, I kind of want to talk about just managing remote teams as well, uh, managing distributed teams. Does that work for you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's start at the top. So one thing that I notice is that there's actually a lot of language around this topic that I want to clarify because I even feel like myself, I'm using them interchangeably and probably in the wrong way. Um, and you've probably noticed that already. Um, but can you talk about the difference in the terms or the things that our listeners should know? Um, I guess, for instance, you know, what's the difference between distributed, remote, and co-located? Okay, so let me start with co-located. Co-located teams all have, all affiliate around one purpose, and they are physically inside of 30 meters. So most of our listeners are actually not in co-located teams. They're all in one building. They might be on one campus. They, they They have remote people from each other. Not everybody is literally co-located. So when Mark and I were doing the research for the book, I actually came across the Allen curve. And it's really, I mean, 30 meters is the absolute outside for a co-located team. I know, I know. I didn't realize that. It's kind of funny, yeah. So it turns out that if you are not willing to stand up and walk over to a person to ask a question, because you perceive that the cost of asking a question is too high, you are probably not in a co-located team. So one back when the Agile movement started, we had all this thing about team rooms, which was wonderful. Everyone would get inside of one room. We were shoulder to shoulder. We could pair. We could mob. We could swarm. We could do whatever it is we needed to do as a team. And most of my... I, Let me just say, I think none of my clients ever implemented a team room. I would say, this is a great idea. And they would say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can have that as a great idea for somebody else. Not for us. <laughs> now, and, is that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is that because there's no space or they just didn't want, like culturally it was something that felt not right? So it was a combination of, we don't have space for a, a team of people. What, where would they sit? Yeah. In a conference room? That's not a good answer. Right. We need, we need conference rooms. Well, I would say, well, if they were all sitting together, do you really need any more conference rooms? Well, yes, they did. Okay, so, and and then I have a lot to say about architects who design space in, in uh, corporate offices, none of which is particularly um, 
lovely. Because <laughs> <laughs> they create space. I am only five feet tall on, on an extremely good day. So the cubicles are often five three or five four. So nobody sees me coming. <laughs> and and if the cubicles are lower, then the noise is even higher. Right. So so you you have the worst of all possible worlds inside a, an office with cubicles. Right. This large open area with cubicles. It saves the company a ton of money in terms of space per person, and it's quite bad for collaboration and teamwork. Right. So, okay. So let's. So if your if your entire team is within thirty meters, is cross functional, you have all the people you need to do the job. You affiliate around one purpose or goal. That's a co-located team. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now distributed comes in several forms. So when you have a distributed team, at least one person is remote from the other people. So I don't, I don't like to talk about remote teams. I don't, I don't actually understand what that is. But if we think about one person is not co-located with everybody else, that one person is remote, you now have a distributed team. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then there are several kinds of distributed teams. Um, the when I first started working with distributed teams, they would be the bulk of the team in one location and one person off here and one person out over there. That's a satellite team. Then there's the cluster team where you have two or three people in one location. This is often developers, right? Because I'm a software person. Developers in one location. Testers in another, the the requirements person, the product the product person in yet a third area, and you might all be in the same physical building, but you are not co-located. Right, you're further than that thirty meters. Right, and so then there's the dispersed team where everybody is remote from everybody else. Okay, so that's completely like everyone's working from home. Yeah, or working from some. Some location that is not even close necessarily to any other location. Got it. Everyone is in their own unique location. Got it. Okay. You can slice this so many ways, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So we offer this way of thinking about the teams as co-located, everyone inside 30 meters, satellite with the bulk of people in, in one location and a couple of people remote or at least one person remote, cluster, several people in several locations. They're co-located, you know, two or three co-located here, two or three co-located there, et cetera. And then the nebula, which is dispersed. Okay, got it. Those are yeah. so dispersed satellite cluster and nebula, all new terms to me, but all completely make sense because there are so many different ways that you can structure a team uh, location wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can even have a nebula team in one physical building mm -hmm. if everybody is on different floors. Right. Or, or separated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can think of examples of all of those, whether they're case studies I've read or teams that I've worked with um, who are in all various different setups. I'm wondering, um, do you have a preference for any of them? Do you think there are advantages to any setup versus another? Yeah. I really like the nebula. So, and mostly because we are human. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 
out of sight, out of mind. Mm. So if we if we have the the satellite team, I I would I wish I could say I'm such a great person. I never forget the people on my team. No, they're not there. I forget about them. Yeah. So, right. And so if everybody is remote, if everybody is dispersed, then nobody has, in a sense, the advantage over anybody else. Right. Right. Everybody, no, there's no headquarters and other. There's no, um, there's no way of forgetting about people. If you don't have all the people on, I mean, we happen to be using Skype. We could use Zoom, whatever it is we choose to use. Um, if everybody is not on the same meeting tool, we don't have our entire team there. Right. So let's, let's, I actually prefer the Nebula. Because it makes me go through, oh, do we have Andy and do we have Brenda and do we have Cindy and do we have Danny and do we have, right, let me go through all the people on the team and make sure they are all there before I get started. Yeah. So it, it, the Nebula pretty much puts everyone in the same exact situation and that they're in their own location and there's no there's no feeling of the um, the core team and then the people who are on the fringe kind of thing. Like I know that I've been in work situations where we had two offices and the second office was determined the second office because they were brought in that that team was onboarded you know, merged with the company. So that team ended up feeling like it was us versus them. And that was never a great feeling. So it, it kind of, it starts, you start to see the effects on culture, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on benefits just in general of, of managing distributed teams? So <laughs> there's, there's several benefits for the manager. Let me start there. If you might be a literal people manager, you might be a project manager, scrum master, facilitator for a team. But the nice thing about people being away from you is that you cannot micromanage them. That actually frees you up as a manager to go and do the stuff you need to do. Wow. What a great point. I, yeah. I, I mean, people, it's not that people, I think that people forget about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not that they mean to micromanage, but they cannot micromanage. Right. So, and then for the people on the team, aside from the benefit of not being micromanaged, <laughs> right, that's actually a big benefit. The team gets to figure out how do we work as a team. Now, I I th happen to think that every every team needs facilitation help to understand how to work together. Okay. I I have not been a part of too many teams that just came together all by themselves. No, no, no. They right. needed to do some the forming, storming, norming business, and they might need some facilitation, especially if they're going to be, try and be an agile team. Right. So I, I find that a facilitator of some sort is really helpful. But that means when everyone is dispersed. Everyone has to use the same tools. And if you don't have all the same tools, you don't really have a team. Then you, you have what you, what you talked about before, which is the insiders and the outsiders. Right. Um, all that stuff is, is quite bad when you don't have equalness. Yeah. yeah equalness when, is close enough to a term. 
<laughs> when you mentioned facilitators, um, just want to I want to be clear on that. Is, is that for you a scrum master or a project manager or someone on, on that level, or is it someone who's even outside of the team, the core team? So I really like it when an agile project manager or a scrum master takes that on. Mm-hmm. For me, that's really important. Same. Okay. Good. Yeah. I just wanted. I just wanted to make sure because there are different points of view on that. But I think, you know, a lot of organizations probably wouldn't even consider that because it would, you know, an outside facilitator to, to pull a team together. But what about well, with- that? Might, yeah, that may be nice for a retrospective. Absolutely. But I think that for the day to day work of a team, no, you need somebody who understands what does what does the environment need from this team to deliver. Right. Let's let's focus on that deliverable. Yep. Okay. Well, so what about um, agile teams specifically? Like, are there any different benefits for distributed agile teams other than, you know, kind of what you've mentioned so far? So I think it's, it's harder and it's easier at the same time for an, uh, for a distributed agile team. Let me talk about the harder first in a co-located team. And I'm I'm talking about inside of 30 meters, preferably inside of eight or 12 meters. Um, people can turn around. They can look at each other. You can see if I'm heads down and busy. You can see if I'm if I'm sitting back in my chair thinking and, you know, based on how, what you know of me, whether or not I'm interruptible. Mm. Right. So you can you have all kinds of visual and audio cues that you don't have when you're remote from people. Right. For And the reason I like agile distributed teams is because of the focus on collaboration. How do we as a team finish this next small chunk of work? Right. So it's the agileness that makes the team move. You can't see my hands. <laughs> you, you might hear it, right? You, that that help the team really move through the work. And I find that that's uh, – I, I have not yet worked. I, I don't remember the last time I did not work in an agile way. Okay. So, all right. So that's partly my prejudice. I know that um, back in the early O's – I, I tended to use something that looked like Scrum. Even before that, I used an iterative and incremental approaches, never waterfall. And um, now since I – I think once I discovered personal Kanban, I realized that I actually work in flow with a cadence of planning and a cadence of retrospectives. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. while we're kind of on the, the Agile topic um, – I kind of like I, I guess I'm kind of gathering that when it comes to agile, the focus on the principles is really critical for a team, like no matter where you're located, right? But getting that kind of buy-in, I know can be really difficult when you are located. It's all in one one spot, right? Um, is it tough to get that buy-in with distributed teams? Um, yes and no. Okay. I think it's so my experience is it's more difficult to get buy-in for video always on <laughs> than it is for almost anything else. So 
we happen to be recording this with just audio because of the limitations of the tool. If we had turned on video, our computers might say, oh, let's let's be a memory hog. So we are using uh, audio only for our recording for a specific reason. Right. But often in, in the workplace, people have excellent internet access, right? They're not, they're not working on, you know, whatever it is I have at home, which is pretty good, but not the same as right. at where most people work. And I, what I find is if you, if you leave your video on, you are much more likely to understand or allow people to understand you and you can understand them. Mm-hmm. And in a in a co-located team, even even in a team where we might not be co-located, but we're all at the same place, there there's always video on, right? People can go walk over. It might not be easy, but we can walk over. So my experience is it's not so much that the agile part is a challenge, although there are plenty of agile challenges. It's the video that's a huge challenge. Yeah. What, I guess the video kind of, to me in some way, it's a communication challenge, right? It's it's yeah. setting the expectation that the way that we communicate is via video, not just voice. Um, but I also think that, you know, if we dig into some tactics a little bit, like communication on distributed teams is really important, but it also can be kind of difficult, um, especially as a team lead or a project manager. Um, you know, if you're working with new team members, people are being onboarded. Some people are working in really large organizations where there's kind of just a unlimited number of resources and people who can be pulled into teams. So it can be a little bit more difficult if you're remote or distributed um, to kind of get to know people from afar. And I'm wondering, do you have any suggestions for building relationships, solid communications, trust, like any anything around that, that, that people can kind of hone in on or zero in on to get better? Well, I think the first thing is to assume good intention, which is one of the principles in the book. Yeah. But I think that I think another piece is what if you are a leader in your team, why are you not pairing with a new person? So I am a huge, a huge proponent of the buddy system. So if you have a new person starting in your team, you might need a buddy system form from with um and an existing team member and the new team member. This does not have to be a senior junior relationship. It can be a peer relationship, but why would you not ask a person who already understands how the team does its work to work with a new person? And if you are a facilitator, leader, agile project manager, something like that, why would you not have a one-on-one with everybody on your team? Now, there's there's the issue of a people manager one-on-one, and if you are an agile project manager and you also have one-on-ones, that's maybe not the right thing, <laughs> right? There's a limit to the number of one-on-ones any person should be expected to have. Right. Uh, they, and I freely admit that. However, if you don't, if you are the facilitator of a team and you are not doing some kind of team-based learning every week, I wonder about that. What do you mean by team-based learning? So every 
every week. So I did this back when I, I, I facilitated back when I was a dev manager and a test manager, I facilitated a weekly meeting that we had a team meeting. We were not the team. We were actually a group, um, but we had a meeting every week where we learned something together. You can think of that as a community of practice because we were all one function. Okay. However, in a cross-functional team, like I'm expecting these actual teams to be, why would you not learn as a team something every week? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead. It sounds like I interrupted. No, oh, no, no. I was just going to say, so is that through a retrospective? That is that kind of what you're getting at there? Oh, so I think of this as different from a retrospective. Okay. So I am one of those wacko people. I will freely admit <laughs> this. So. In my experience, technical people who focus on one project at a time, who work with a team, who are collaborative, can only get about maybe five and a half or six hours of technical work done a day. We, okay. we fool ourselves into thinking it's an eight-hour day. <laughs> it's so true. We, we can do email. We have to go eat lunch. We need breaks during the day. Um, and we, ha we have more email. We have meetings. So... If, if, a, if a team has done five or six hours of intensive, collaborative, focused work during that day, they, they have done more than their fair share of work. And what I find is that if you say to the team, what do we need to learn for either next week or next sprint or this this set of features that are coming up do we need to understand something about some part of the architecture some part of the database some part of something they will say oh yes we really need fred over there because fred has been doing this for years and years fred is now 64 and is ready to go to fiji for a rum punch shrink <laughs> Um, I want to be I Fred. Would, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of would like to too. Um, and and if we don't get Fred now, we are not going to be able to do that. Hmm. So one of the what one of the things I've seen in organizations is that as a result of all those waterfall years, we have all these experts in the organization. The team, this cross-functional collaborative team, needs help from those experts. And the way I like to do this help is when the experts come and say, here's a brain dump of, of 20 minutes of everything I know, right? You cannot absorb more than 20 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. So if you think of, if you think of the kinds of things an agile team does, the team plans a little bit for the next chunk of time or the next bit of work. That's, that's getting the, st the stories ready in the backlog. They start to do the work, they recommit to each other, they they walk the board, they do something about checking in with each other fairly often, at least once a day, if not more often. They might prepare some stories for the next chunk of work, depending on how they do that. They always have a demo and a retrospective on a regular cadence. So if we think about the kinds of things that the team needs to learn, you might say in, in a given retrospective, um, do, what kinds of learning do you want us to plan for for the next week or two? That's different than what do we want, what one thing do we want to improve on for the next week or two? Right. 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 So 
so this this also gives the team a break from feeling like they're a feature factory. One of the many problems in the Agile community right now is that product owners finally get stuff out of the team, so they treat the team as if the team is a feature factory. Feature, 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 feature. Yeah, <laughs> that, that does not work. And um, the team might say, as part of the retrospective, we are not doing enough um, infrastructure work to support our future development. That's one thing we want to work on. And they might decide that they want to learn faster ways to do it. And that team over there under, seems to understand faster ways to do it. Can we get some of those people to talk to us? Mm-hmm. Okay. What about what about you know communication on a day to day basis? That things that are not kind of uh, you know structured, right? Like I'm not talking about you know pairing or one on ones yep. or or full team check ins um, or team learning. What about like do you have any tips around kind of best practices for how you should set an expectation or structure for how the team communicates? So one of the things I really like is a dedicated team back channel that's text-based. So um, I am a member of many Slack communities. You might say possibly too many Slack Absolutely. Same yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I value the learning from it. But I'm not part of any, I, I, I am part of several teams, but not in the same way as when I would work in an, in an organization. Sure. So uh, what I find is, and I'm using Slack as an example, not that Slack is the best, it's just a useful thing right now. I think that my husband uses a Microsoft Teams thing. Sure. Um, yeah, they have a, a chat that, platform. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... A, but it's a dedicated chat back channel for this team. So if I discover something interesting, I can I can put a message on on this chat uh, back channel and say, I just discovered this, blah, 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 blah. Did anybody else know that? Did I somehow miss it? And, and then all the other people on the team might say, uh, yes, Jr. You did. <laughs> um, and here's and here's on our project wiki where we had talked about it a year ago when maybe you were on vacation because they were giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so, so I mean, this is the kind of thing. Or they might say, "Oh, no, that's really interesting. We did not think of it that way. We did not understand it to be that way. So, we." Let's let's address this as a team, either in a Kaizen, in a little 20 or 30 minute retrospective um, today at four o'clock, or let's put this on the list for our next retrospective. Thanks for finding it. Mm -hmm. So this the business of the back channel is we can tell each other what's going on. JR, did you remember our meeting? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and did we learn something? Did we see something that's a little suspect? All this stuff. This is where um, the more we have ways to communicate that are not specifically in real time, but allow people to catch up, the the easier it is for all of us to actually understand what's going on. Yeah. So the text back channel is mandatory for uh, all distributed teams. And I don't even care if they don't have enough hours of overlap. If you have people who are not 
located with you. You need to somehow have a way that everybody can see this particular um, set of of conversations. Yeah, I agree. This does not require email. Yeah, I even think that you know I've been in in organizations where everyone's in one building and one small office, and there's still a lot of communication through Slack. Um, Yes. And and at Team Gantt, we use Slack, um, and I think we use it in a pretty amazing way. And the reason I say that is because I've worked in organizations where there's constant flow of chatter in Slack that is not (laughs) useful and can be distracting, right? Um, Team Gantt, we use it in a way that is, you're not bothering someone, right? Like you're giving people the productive time and space to get the work done that they need to get done. And you recognize that if you're asking a question, you might not get an immediate response because you're respecting that time and space. So I, at the same time, I think that it's nuanced, right? Like it's a challenge. It's communication when you're all in different places and sometimes things get heated and you need an immediate response. Like it's hard to figure that stuff out. But, but I do think that even though it is riddled with some challenges, I think it's probably having that kind of what you call a back channel, um, absolutely is necessary. Oh yeah. And then the teams all need to be able to have full access to all the tools that everybody on the team needs. Mm -hmm. So if you have developers, they, they need to have access to the code. So do the testers. Um, the testers need to have access to the test tool. So do the developers. Um, and, both everybody needs full access to the meeting tool everybody needs to be able to start audio and video and everybody has to be able to use all the same tools um a long time ago and i really hope that this is not the case anymore although some of my colleagues tell me it is uh, a manager a well-meaning manager who really wanted to manage the cost of the tools said well um since we're we're offset by many hours. Your job at the end of the day is to relinquish your license to this particular tool. And then the next person could take the license. Oh boy. That last, yeah, yeah. That lasted about three days before somebody <laughs> left the building and forgot to relinquish their license. And all the people who were to the West of them said, what are we chop liver? And Oh yeah. So, don't skimp on licenses for tools. They're so cheap these yeah, days. I wish you could see the look on my face right now as I'm nodding no. Like that that just doesn't make any sense at all, especially with a, a, a remote team. But, you know, when you're in person, even it's just a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It just doesn't no even make it. Doesn't, it's yeah. a bad decision. But, you yeah. know, you see those things often in your career, right? Um, well, yeah. I want to I talk for a minute about collaboration because collaboration is huge, as you well know, in Agile projects. Um, yeah. Also, a really kind of a hot topic among just like other non like non-traditional projects or non-agile projects. And, you know, in, when you're all in one office, people rely on things like war rooms and whiteboards and meeting space and conference rooms, you know, a lot that's done in person. And collaboration is done really well in person. You know, I can't tell you how many amazing brainstorming meetings I've been in with 
full teams where we're sketching ideas that turn into a product really quickly. Um, and I'm curious if you've got any recommendations for how you do that kind of like high touch collaboration uh, in a distributed way. So the first thing is to turn on video. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is to have a document in something that everybody has access to one document. So I, I wish I could tell you I, I had a really good suggestion for a whiteboard tool. I do not. However, I have had several good results with um, Google Docs. And again, Docs does not work for every single organization. So choose the right, choose the right tool that fits your security. Um, but find, find one place where everybody can, can contribute to the document in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually care what that is, uh, as long as everybody can contribute to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's really, that's really the big thing. Okay. So I have one more question for you. Um, so you know that the title of our show is Time Limit, kind of giving to a nod to the fact that, you know, we're all busy human beings, professional people trying to get a lot done with limited time and some time limited uh, resources as well. So given the chat today, I'm curious if you've got any time saving tips for the distributed or remote project manager, um, you know, are there things that someone could do to save time and make managing a remote team and projects a little bit easier? Yes, I have actually, I think three. Awesome. So I hope, I'm hoping you let me think. Okay. Please do. <laughs> okay. So first one, never make a distributed or remote meeting longer than 55, zero minutes. Always keep it under an hour. Always, 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 always. Okay. The reason for that is that people will start to look at their phones. They'll start to look at their email. They're not engaged. So don't do it. If you can keep, if you can keep all your meetings to 30 minutes, that's even better. So, yeah, keep the meetings short and sweet. That's a good now, one. Now, the way you do this is you always have small stuff. So one of the big problems we have in in just the general software community is we envision big products. We have this big idea. We see the big feature sets. And it's time instead of how much can we do, think about how little can we do. And that how little thinking translates into smaller amounts of whip work in progress and shorter cycle times. So I would recommend that the team itself may be facilitated by this project manager, scrum master, whomever, measure their cycle time and say, how long on average does it take us to finish something? I don't care what the thing is, how long does it take us? If it's not, we can, if we cannot finish one thing in a day, what do we do so we can finish one thing in a day and work on that problem? Mm -hmm. That problem will help you finish um, small chunks of work faster, and you don't have to be agile to do this. Absolutely not. But it, yeah, right. But it allows you to do to do all the, to do work in a way that makes sense. And then my third thing is to to work with a product owner or whomever gives you requirements and say, if you could only have one thing, what would that one thing be? Because my 
my experience with all these distributed teams is, again, we have all these big ideas. We want all this stuff. What's how do we focus the team on one feature, one one feature set, something small so they get stuff done? If you as a as a project manager could do that for your team, wow, you would be way ahead of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be way ahead of the game. I'd never thought about this. This is really interesting. I think you'd be way ahead of the game. And I also think that it would help your team to get better on a lot of layers, right? Like I can picture your estimation getting better. I can picture the collaboration ramping up and getting better because you're really focused on on one kind of challenge or problem or feature, whatever it might be. You know, it it feels like, yeah, I really like that. There, There are a lot of benefits to that one. Yeah, when and I really like cycle time for estimation because mm-hmm. if we if we know even if we know it takes us a week to finish something, we know that. So if we have if we're using Scrum and a two week sprint, we look at two things. We don't right. have to look at fifteen things. Yeah, there's more focus. <laughs> yeah. More yeah. focus. It's, it's easier so- to figure out what your role is and what you need to do, right? Like what are exactly. what are my marching orders? Really yep. good one. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit. I really appreciate you making the time and scheduling this and, and really coming through. I think it's it's been a lot of fun. So thank you. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. You too. All right, folks, that wraps up this episode of Time Limit. I wish I'd continued recording this after we stopped the interview because that last bit of advice about focusing your teams in smaller chunks really got me. I think there are some pretty serious benefits to think about there. Also, I think my head is still spinning over the several definitions or setups to working remotely. The last thing here is, there are certainly a lot more topics within managing distributed teams that we absolutely couldn't get to in a 30-minute, 40-minute episode. If you've got ideas and practices to share, please get in touch to be a guest on the show. Just email podcast at teamgant.com and we can chat. Until then, please share the podcast with your colleagues, please, and give us a nice review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And come back for episode 26, where we'll explore an up-and-coming branch of project management, which is design ops. Thanks. Thanks.